Cindy James lived in the ordinary suburb of Richmond in Vancouver, British Columbia. A nurse by trade, Cindy lived an unremarkable life while married to her then-psychologist husband, Roy Makepeace. Roy and Cindy separated in 1982, and shortly after, began a series of events that would lead to one of Canada's most mysterious unsolved cases. The following years, Cindy alleged that she was the target of psychological and at times physical torture by a mysterious assailant, threatening phone calls, assaults inside her home, and even a case of what was possibly arson, eventually cost the Royal Canadian Mounted Police an estimated $1 million in resources and manpower to investigate. Cindy's ordeal would eventually lead to the gruesome discovery of her body in a ditch with her arms bound behind her, barefoot, miles from her own home. Her death was ruled a suicide. This case file, the theorists open up the freezer for this cold case in The Death of Cindy James. Welcome to Alien Theorist Theorizing Case File 86. Yeah. The the mysterious case of Cindy James. Cindy James. Cindy James. Very interesting one. It's cool. Uh, happened uh, right in our home province of British Columbia. Right in the backyard. In just down. Right in our backyard. Just in Vancouver. A few, a few hours away. Okay. Before we get into the the nitty gritty of this case, let's let's get to some business. First off, oh Dan, you motherfucker, you were supposed to remind me something, and you did. Oh yeah, I did. I, I was going remembered. to. Yeah, right. <laughs> now I have to pull it up before you said something. Now, I'm I curious. will say this right now: we're not going to do this for everyone. So if you you know you can you can put in requests, we'll try. But the reason that I'm doing this. Is because how re- thoughtful this person was, and they reminded me. So, um, where is it here? So this uh, is a pre-podcast shout out to Brock. Happy yeah. birthday, Brock! Happy birthday! May you live long enough to travel through space, Brock. Your oh. girlfriend Samantha, she uh, she was nice enough to message us and really wanted to. Uh, you to get a birthday shout out. So here it is, Brock. I noticed that she just said boyfriend and not fiance, Brock. What's up with that, Brock? <laughs> this huh? Is She's doing all this nice stuff for you, Brock. <laughs> what are you doing for her? What are you doing for Samantha? That's what I want to know. Anyways, happy birthday, Brock. Uh, you're a OG prolapser. Thanks for listening. And you better thank your girlfriend, Samantha, uh, for getting you a shout out. Anyways, let's get on to some space news. Um, what do we got? Okay, what the fuck's going on in Ireland? UFOs are flying, flying the UFOs. Up, man. everywhere. You're pretty nuts. What? Because uh, mul- multiple pilots seeing UFOs above Ireland. Multiple. This was just last week, six days yeah. ago. Yeah, 
no no military activity in the area as uh, reported by the air traffic controllers yes no i think the uh, i think the prevailing theory is that it was a meteor like Steve. on a on a like a low trajectory is See, what it was cuz they said it was traveling at like Mach 4 i think i think meteor tra- guess i think meteor's traveling way faster than that right so it was like it was traveling at a ridiculous speed with the, when they were looking at it, but it was coming in at a weird. I think they're saying that it came in at like a weird angle. It might have looked something weird, but that's that's the one theory. If it's not a UFO, I'm just saying. Yeah, it's uh, that, they always say meteor, but like this thing veered to the north, like it changed direct direction. One of the pilots oh, right. said, "Ah, okay." And they were just wondering, like it was moving at high speed. They didn't know what it was, so yeah, they messaged air traffic control to see, like, hey, is there any military ex- like exercises going on they're like uh, no negative and so it's crazy like multiple and multiple pilots multiple jetliners mm-hmm. so Something's i don't know what's going on over the emerald isle yeah one guy said was traveling abs- absolutely astronomical like mach 2 or something that's a quote so Ooh. what's the what like how fast is the fastest like fighter jets that like, like not even I mean, they don't travel. They don't sustain like Mach two. They don't go really. Fucking I mean, Gillette. they can go Gillette Mach two, does Mach 5, but not so. as like <laughs> it's not something you would normally do. Right, like max speed, straight line. They could get Mach two or two and a half or something, maybe. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, so I don't know. It's really cool. It's cool that it's on like it was on every mainstream news site too. Yeah, <laughs> popped like, up everywhere. Just a little bit. <clears throat> Mach two is. 2,469 kilometers per second. No, per hour. Pretty quick. Per hour. Yeah. Per second, that'd be and fucking quick. And then that's quick. for our American <laughs> friends. Insane. That's 1,534 miles per hour. Woo! That's <clears throat> fast. Damn fast. Cool, though. Really cool. That's one of the better UFOs that's come out recently. Uh, that's all I got about that. How about this? FCC gives SpaceX green light for 7,518 new satellites. And what and that does seem like a huge number, but these satellites are going to be very small, some as small as four inches. And therefore... Little, per, little baby satellites. Little tiny little satellites. Right. And they're for uh, global broadband. But inter- yeah. like satel- oh, satellite, yes. satellite-based broadband, I guess it's, it's probably going to be faster. Also known as Skynet. Exactly. 4,000 satellites across the whole planet. The, I think the primary goal for this is to give like broadband connection to like more Everybody. like to everyone and equally for like a cheap price. Yeah. It, yeah, and right. remote and in more yeah, remote right. as well. For a cheap price. Cheap, cheap, cheap yeah, price. Yeah, right. Just cheap enough to make billions of dollars, but also cheap enough that you'll when, buy it. When it comes out, it'll be the most expensive. No, it thing. would be cheaper. It would be cheaper because more people could pay for it. Or you have more people. Oh, I guess so. Yeah. More people, and it's, you can, and there's the infrastructure is way less. Like launching these yeah, satellites, you is, don't have to do cables. You don't have to worry with all that stuff. You don't have to. Would worry, it? Yeah. Could I leave Bell Canada and get a new SpaceX provider? No, Bell Canada will make will, make will make sure that it becomes illegal, and we'll keep getting ra- <laughs> raped by yeah. Canadian telecom. They'll companies. lobby it for it to be illegal. Space internet illegal. Yeah. You guys want to know the real conspiracy? It's why Canadians pay so goddamn much for cell phones. It's unbelievable. That's the real conspiracy. It's, it's. We gotta be some of the. I think 
if not the highest, it's like top three highest cell phone bills in the world. I would assume that it's because like your like it's your country's so big. It, but there's only like tw- like ten percent discrimination, like, Dan. <laughs> I'm just saying, like you know, you put the towers out to cover that much. Ninety percent like, of our population lives within what hundred kilometers of the border. Yep. They don't so, have. They don't have. Yeah, they don't have that about, many towers compared to other places. Put them somewhere, they get them all the way across. Well, they and so you can call somebody from there to there. You have to be able to make that call. I would assume. Well, there's no? there's so many there's so much area. Well, especially in BC, because cell phone towers, like but like mountains, block all the, block the signal. But on the prairies and in the plains, like one cell phone tower, like stretches way farther. Right. So. I don't know. Still, I mean, Still. America's a gi- outrageous. America's a giant country, <laughs> and their phone bills are way, way cheaper. That's true. So I don't know. Conspiracy. We'll get. To, we'll we'll figure it out. But right now, we're getting screwed. <laughs> what else we got for space? Bell news? Canada, we're coming for you. Yeah, your case file uh, eighty seven. Really... Bell Canada. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. They'll up our bill just for mentioning them. <laughs> I got one more little I piece. I got one more little piece here. What's I don't. That? I don't know what it means, but a dark matter hurricane is crashing into Earth. <laughs> sounds oh, absolutely. Oh, no. It sounds Only absolutely. Only Bill Paxton <laughs> was still here to study it. <laughs> I guess the stream of debris is from a dwarf galaxy they think was torn apart by the Milky, Milky Way's like, gravity, destroying some type of dwarf star. And the dark, the dark matter is streaming through Earth, but we shouldn't be worried because, I guess, it's streaming through us all the time. This is just a more concentrated stream, and it's our best way to study it. I don't even know how you study dark matter, but I guess this is a big deal. So, you're gonna live. I don't think we're gonna get superpowers, but oh, never know. If cool. you do get superpowers, please email us. Yes, <laughs> please, please. If if Zell didn't get superpowers from eating that uh, frozen poop from space, I don't think you're gonna get. Uh, yeah, it's, no one impo- else is superpowers. it's impossible. All right. Well, uh, I also, if we want to fire up the X three, let's do it. Get see it. if we it'll pump us out a UFO case file. And we're thinking at it right now. <laughs> UFO sighting. I think Andrew just added you on Skype as the Lebanese mongoose as well. <laughs> did he really? Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, he just did. He said he's, I don't know if, I'm, I don't know if he wants to try to call on from his phone. I was like, eh, we'll see. Um, this story is looks like a UFO sighting. This was posted by unknown, unknown, unknown or unknown origin origin. Okay, here we go. Get it. I can't. I can't say for sure what happened to me that night, but here is what I know. I was driving home for the weekend from school in 
at Indiana University. It takes me about two hours to get home. I left Bloomington around 10 p.m. At exactly 10.53, I am on a rural stretch. Oh, man, that's always been such a hard word for me to say. Rural. I just wanted to, I just wanted to say I knocked it out of the park. Rural. <laughs> you got it. Uh, I'm on a rural stretch of two-lane highway I take home. Okay, okay first off. If you're on a two, like two lane highway, like one there, one way, that's just a. Is that a single lane highway, or does he mean there's like two lanes on each side? Two lane I highway. It's, it's. I think he just means two lanes, one going one way, one going the other. Okay, yeah, again, yeah, that's a small. Thing. Makes more makes more sense. Makes more sense. A two lane highway I take home, and I notice what appeared to be flashing lights behind me. I thought, great, I'm getting pulled over. So I turned onto the next country road about a quarter mile from where I noticed the lights. As the car came to a stop and I started to open my glove box to get out my registration and proof of insurance, the lights suddenly disappeared and no car drove past. Now, here's where the story takes a turn for the weird. And I'm sure you guys will think that I'm making it all up because it really does seem like something straight out of a typical UFO movie or story. The electronics in my car started to go haywire. The radio was randomly changing stations while the volume kept going up and down, while the dome light and headlights started to flicker and turn off and back on. This was at 10.56. I started thinking to myself that my battery must be failing, or else I have a short somewhere in the electric system of my car. So I lean down to pop the hood so I can take a look at the battery. And that is the last thing I remember doing. The next thing I know, I open my eyes and see nothing but the night sky full of bright stars. It was a cold night, and it seemed like I had seen the stars. I had never seen the stars that bright in my life. I sat up and looked around, and I saw absolutely nothing. Nothing at all. I was in the middle of a field, surrounded by corn stalks, left over from a recent harvest. As I started to come to my senses, I started to freak out. Where am I? Why the fuck am I asleep in the middle of a field? Where the fuck is my car? I got up, and I started walking toward the distant headlights I could see from a road about half a mile away. When I got to the nearest intersection, I looked at the sign, which read 350 North and 50 West. I was half a mile away from my car, which was just right off the main road. I started walking toward the headlights I could see on the main road. I can't say how long it took me to walk the half mile, but it couldn't have been more than 10 or 15 minutes. When I arrived at my car, all the lights were out. My battery had died which struck me as odd because I couldn't have been gone for that long. I look over at my phone, which is sitting on the passenger seat, and the time was 2.17 a.m. Over three hours had passed since I turned off onto the side road for the flashing lights behind me. I remember sitting in my car, completely dumbfounded, wondering what the hell just happened to me. After about an hour and a half of just sitting there, I remembered that my battery was dead. So I got on my phone and I called AAA to come out and give me a jump. 
took about half an hour for them to get out to me since I was a good distance away from the nearest town, during which time I just sat in silence, running through the possible scenarios in my head concerning what had just happened. To this day, I couldn't tell you what really happened to me that night. All I know is I can't think of any plausible explanation as to why I woke up over a half a mile away from my car in the middle of a cornfield more than three hours after I had stopped. I have only shared this story with one other person, my uncle, and I'm sure people would either look at me like I'm crazy or they would call bullshit on the whole story, and I can't blame them. If somebody came to me with a story like this that so closely mirrors the stereotypical encounter story, I probably wouldn't believe them either. Hmm. Hmm. You got yeah, abducted? Got classic, yeah, classic UFO case. You got the electronic shorting out in your automobile. You got your missing time. What kind of crazy stuff going on in there? And I was like, when you're like, oh, it's the stereotypical like Hollywood thing. I was like, motherfucker, they have to get those ideas from somewhere. That doesn't just pop into someone's head. Like, those ideas yeah. are based... On like I real always life think stories. the the UFO like the the electronic shorting out in cars and things like that it it's got to be something like with the propulsion system with a oh hundred percent electromagnetic electromagnetic or that's what I would think it has something to do with that that's why the effect why it expect why you have effects and things on a cars electronic system or training the battery or. Things like that. So it's definitely going to be something like that. But yeah, I mean, oh man, to make that. It's, they're so rude to dump you out like a half mile from your car. Yeah, take me take me home at least. Yeah, you travel like a billion miles between stars and you can't just plop me next to my car. You have to drop me half a mile away. They're just fucking with you. Which assholes. That's some bullshit. All right, well, cool shit though. That's a that was a cool shit. That was a good one. Cool All right, shit. We uh, get into the task at hand. Let's get to it. Mysterious death of Cindy, Cindy James. James. Crazy case, it really is. Uh, it's very interesting. So, yeah. um, just gonna start us off. Well, I'm just thinking in my head where I want to where where do I want to start it off. Um, so Cindy James graduated from nursing school in 1966. She later became the administrator for a preschool for children with behavioral and emotional issues. She was married, uh, didn't have any children of her own. And in July 1982, her and her husband uh, separated. These are important dates. Okay. Years later, in June 1989, uh, in the quiet, in a quiet Vancouver, British Columbian suburb of Richmond, someone made a shocking discovery when they found the body of Cindy James laying in the yard of an abandoned house. The 42, the 40, the then 44-year-old nurse named Cindy James had been drugged, strangled, and her hands and feet tied behind her back. Interesting. Sounds like a brutal murder. Brutal murder. At first read. At first read. Now, police, the the initial cause of death was 
labeled an accident or an accidental suicide. Right. She tied herself up. Right. Yeah. And <laughs> tied her ar- tied her own arms behind her back and made accidental suicide. Like, well, needless to say, Cindy James family was not happy with this initial report. Okay. Can I, can I ask a couple questions before we go farther? Sure. Ask me a couple questions. So she's girl's murdered or yeah. she's dead in an abandoned she's, house. She's and abandoned house. I, I read she'd actually been missing for about two weeks where they found her, right? Correct. She is. She was missing for two weeks. Her car was found at a local shopping mall uh, with blood in the car, ID strewn about the car and underneath the car. And she was found over a mile away. Barefoot, did they drugged, strangled, hands and feet tied behind her back? Okay, drugged. Now drugged, and she it was like morphine or something, something, right? Some- yes. So she was. It was a. It was discovered that it was a morphine overdose. Now she did. They did. Coroner did report that she had a hypodermic needle mark on her in her arm. Okay, which would be with like being injected. But the toxicology toxicology report found that she actually died from ingestible like morphine tabs. Oh, so she had two types of this painkiller. Nope, just one. Just the ingestible. There was no trace of Oh, so there was nothing injectable morphine. But she has so what? What was the what was the hole then? It's so weird. There's a I don't know. It's part of the mystery, man. Okay, so now we're so there. So did they find? So, uh, did they find a needle? Did they find a needle around her? They didn't find a needle around her or in her car. Interesting. Okay. So before getting into that that needle mark, I will say her family was very upset that this is labeled a suicide, and the reason is is because. Six months after splitting from her husband in 1982, she was harassed physically and mentally for seven years by an unknown assailant. She would receive hundreds. The RCMP would receive hundreds of reports from City James of incidents of harassment um, you know, vandalism, and there were five incidents of violent physical attacks on City James from 1982 to the time of her death, and from an unknown assailant. Unknown, like no, she never got any good look at him or him or her. And the RCMP never had any leads. So, why don't I go through and this happened the timeline? Th- th- this happened as soon as she got divorced. Soon started, as she got divorced. Started happening when she got divorced. Oh, sorry. Four months after the divorce. from She was married to her husband, uh, Roy Makepeace. Right. She moved in. She moved into a main floor home on, on East, East 40th. And by all accounts, the separation was described as well, and they were on speaking terms. Okay. Sh- shortly before the incident, Roy Makepeace had left a message on Cindy's new phone just warning her 
Um, some say he was a little upset with the divorce. I can't, that's pretty much hearsay, but he did leave a voicemail stating that Cindy would need to be careful because living on your own can be dangerous. That's such a weird thing to say. Why would you say that? No yeah, that's a weird thing. That's such a, it's an, like an absolutely, or at least it's going to come across as a veiled threat. Like what? Oh, 100%. Was was that area known for crime or something? Hey, like, Ryan, you're going on vacation soon, right? Yep. Let me tell you something. Vacations uh, can be very dangerous. And now Brayden's going to kill <laughs> Zell. <laughs> like that that's, is, the, <laughs> that's the implication. It, so, dep- it, it depends, like, the underlying, like, how you said it. Like, hey, hey, Braden, like, vacations can be pretty dangerous, man. Like, take care. Yeah. Or it's like, Braden, vacations can be quite dangerous. Well, hey, well, no, the difference is this. If you and I were going to go on a vacation together and then you're like, hey, I'm actually going on this other vacation, I'm go, and I went to you and I said, well, hmm, I'd be careful because vacations without me can be very dangerous. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because that's what happened. This was his ex-wife, and he didn't want a divorce. And he's now saying, "Hey, be careful. Living on your own can be very dangerous. It's a little bit manipulative. A little bit. He's a be like the, well, yeah, he was a psychiatrist. Was, yeah, yeah, psychiatrist. Yeah, he right? was, we'll get into more of that uh, later on down more, the road. More to come. Let's get through the initial. Let's get through all the incidents of harassment. Sure. So on October 17th, 1982, this is the first stalking event. On October 7th, Cindy got a phone call. The man on the other end graphically described the ways he was going to sexually abuse her. He knew her name. Frightened, she slammed the receiver down. The phone rang again. This time, all she could hear was slow, steady breathing. October 8th. Creepy. The next night, another phone call that said, You're dead, Cindy. You're dead, Cindy? That's what it said? You're dead, Cindy. That's it. You're dead, Cindy. A v- and then, voicemail. Nope. Just a phone call. She picked up. Oh. Said, You're dead, Cindy. Hung up the phone. Jesus. October 9th. The next afternoon, another no-talk call frightened Cindy. Cindy closed the drapes. The phone rang again, and a man on the other end said, Don't think pulling the drapes means I don't know you're in there, Cindy. Mm, Super creepy. October 11th. Two days later, she was disturbed by another what she refers to as no-talk calls. So that's just breathing on the other line. (sighs) October 12th. Uh, On October 12th, a man called and said in a low whisper, I'll get you one night, Cindy. Jesus. (laughs) This is when Cindy finally, I don't know why finally, Decides to call the police. So Cindy on October 12th, this is now four days of being harassed, gets the police involved. The attending officer, uh, Pat McBride, who will also come into play later, suggested Cindy keep a log of the strange calls, unlist her number, and contact the authorities again if she heard any suspicious noises. Later that night, 
She logged her first call. More threats of sexual violence. She told the voice that she had contacted the police. And the voice said, you fucking bitch, I'll get you. Oh. October 13th, 1982. Around midnight the following night, she heard someone at her back door and called police immediately. Police attended the scene and found no evidence of a prowler. October 15th. Someone broke into Cindy's house while she was out. They smashed in her back window and seemingly didn't take anything. This is this poor girl. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) October 18th. Later that week, they don't, the date, the timeline skewed here. It's between October 18th and October 20th. They don't know exact date, but that week, the back door was found ajar. This time, an intruder had used a key. Cindy found a key on the floor next to her bed. The intruder had been in her room. He'd stabbed her pillow a dozen times. Cindy Fuck. ran out and called 911 from a neighbor's house. The police sent back over Constable McBride, Pat McBride, to investigate. He found no useful evidence. He did, however, request more of a police presence in the area and help Cindy to install deadbolt locks. Now things get a little strange. Then Mr. McBride moved in. Mr. McBride, Constable McBride, was recently separated himself and he was looking for a place to rent until an apartment opened up in December. Cindy invited him to sublet a room and thought having a police officer in the house would make her feel safer. This relationship soon became romantic and one night... McBride listened in on one of the no-talk calls and even managed to complete a partial trace. It originated somewhere near the airport. He became convinced that this was not, as some suspected, a woman seeking attention. So at this point, because of all the calls, the RCMP and the lack of evidence, they were starting to think that Cindy was just making these calls up for some sort of attention or to try to paint her husband in bad light. Right. So now we have Constable McBride who's moved in. So you would assume that, you know, he's he's there. They're getting romantic. You would assume that if she was doing these things, he would catch her in the act and not like he he hears a phone call while while she's there. So he's he's convinced that it's it's not her making it up. October 30th. Uh, someone calls and again threatens Cindy with sexual harassment and sex assault. November 13th, 1982. Someone left an unsettling note on her car windshield. It was a card with a picture of a blonde woman cut and pasted inside. The woman's eyes had been scratched out with a sharp blade. Mm. So Cindy was a blonde herself. So you know now it, it's going from phone calls to breaking in, stabbing doors, now leaving notes. Like this woman, like I can imagine like the, the fucking absolute, like you'd be in, you'd, you'd be, be a mess. wreck. Like you'd, you'd be a yeah, nervous fucking yeah. wreck. Ugh. December, 
Cindy received another note in the mail. Merry Christmas, it said. And above another cut and paste picture of a blonde woman with her throat slashed with red ink. Mm. That's not the kind of Christmas card that I want. No. January 27th. So this is now 1983. When the harassment continued into the new year, Cindy decided to move. On January 27th, 1982, as she was packing boxes, she was attacked for the first time. Cindy's good friend and neighbor, Agnes Woodcock, had agreed to spend the night as she often would throughout the ordeal. Agnes arrived at Cindy's house around 9.30. No one answered the door. She went around back where she heard moaning. Cindy was slumped in the stairwell leading to the basement apartment. Her arms and legs had been slashed, about 14 cuts in total. And there was a black nylon stocking tied so tightly around her throat that the downstairs tenant had to cut it off with a knife. Cindy later explained that she had taken a load of boxes to the garage only to discover that the light was out. In the dark, someone grabbed her from behind. Shut up, he said. Keep quiet or I'll cut your face. She didn't recall much and suspected she might have been drugged. She had felt a pinprick on her right arm and a needle mark was found on her elbow. Still, she was able to describe the fear and pain she felt when he cut her arms, legs, shoulders, and back, then strangled her with the nylon. As he left, he whispered, it will take a long time to die. Then he shut the door behind him. (laughs) Jesus. Fucking crazy. It's like, but also I have to wonder at the, how her friend was thinking like, yeah, I'm going to spend a night at your house where this crazy dude has been trying to break into your house this whole time. Why would you not spend the night at your house? Well, she, like, her name was Agnes. House. So I imagine she was like one of those like big butchy girls with a crew cut. You know what I mean? She could, Agnes could throw her weight around. She wasn't. That's real close to Angus. And that's a, but I, I don't know. I think, you know, if you were like, you know, I mean, if I was, if I put myself in her shoes and I was like, you're getting all these fucking nonstop harassing letters and shit. Maybe McBride wasn't there that night. And he's, he's like, you know what? Like, I'm a little scared. Like, do you want to just come over and hang out with me? Right. Yeah. I could see hundred percent. Like, you know what I mean? Like you're just uncomfortable. Me personally, I would probably go over to Agnes's house. Yeah. Yeah. I'd leave my house for sure. But so the initial investigator, didn't believe her. Traumatized, she wasn't eager to relive the incident. She wasn't totally there, as far as being coherent, he would later say. His report suggested that it was a suicide attempt. He based this mostly on three things. Blood found in Sydney's bathroom counter, which didn't fit her story. The parallel nature of the cuts, which suggested to him that there hadn't been a struggle and a chair placed strangely under a crossbeam, as though she had, had intended to hang herself. Later, it was discovered that an officer had moved it back there to have a closer look at the beam and failed to put it back. That's fucking shitty detective work. You're like, look mm. at this chair. like, And then another cop's like, oh, shit, I moved that. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> He's like, wait till Captain Pond hears about this, you motherfucker. Um <laughs> The detective assigned to the case, however, treated it as attempted murder. 
The most likely culprit, of course, was Roy Makepeace. Uh, he's quoted saying, you know, being the estranged husband, you're in, he told Roy, you're inevitably on the suspect list. But Make Makepeace provided an alibi and it checked out. He even agreed to take a polygraph, but the polygraph operator refused. Roy's heart medication might have falsified the test. Hmm. So Roy was on some sort of medication that the operator knew would fuck up the test. Hoping to convince investigators to take her more seriously, Cindy, the victim, took a polygraph test, and she failed twice. Polygraph, polygraph for saying, saying that she did it to herself? Just that the attack happened. The polygraph operator suggested the stress she was under might have affected the results, and she was found to be like like withholding information that's like it, it was it didn't exactly say what she like if she she failed this or this had happened but it's like when it triggers there's like uh, i can't remember what they call it basically they they it looked like she was not telling the whole truth but right. polygraphs are terribly fucking they don't work right yeah, are they not? They're, they're, they're not even like they're like pseudoscience. They're not. Yeah, they're not even yeah. really accepted as evidence. So, they're just they're they're hokey. Like they're ho- hocus scare, pocus. Hocus pocus. They they're, are, scare, they're scare tactic. Like you scare people yeah. with the polygraph program. Now, if if you're someone that's like you've you've been going months and months of being harassed, and you've just had a violent attack, and now you're taking a polygraph, and you're like you're fucking distraught. Like you're not in the fucking right place of mind or anything to be doing that test. Your fucking thing's gonna be all over the fucking place. Oh yeah, right. I don't like yeah. crazy. Instantly, this some of the RCMP are quick to point the finger at her, being like, "Well, you're doing this to yourself. You're just doing this for attention." As a result, Cindy's so fucking embarrassed. She refused to cooperate anymore. She demands the investigation be shut down, and she refuses to sign her statement and says she's she's just scared for her family at this point. Huh. Like what? scared for her family when this guy hasn't been doing anything to the family, no. just to her. Well, who knows what all these phone calls and shit, right? Like you're. I, well, they knows? say she was getting phone calls at work too. Yeah, right? all the time. So on February twenty seventh, a month after the attack, uh, with no other evidence and a victim who didn't appear entirely credible, they the RCMP declare the case inactive. So that's uh oh fuck off. What? Fucking Oh, I just fucking minimized this or something. Where is it? Oh, fuck sakes. Motherfucker, motherfucker. So that's it. They said pretty much they didn't ha- they didn't have any more evidence on the case. They didn't have any more evidence on this one. I'm almost back to This girl's just having a rough a rough go. Yeah. So She moves out. Uh, her and McBride split up. Um, I'm sure the pressure of the investigation and then pointing the finger at Cindy and her, him being one of the investigators, which I don't know how the fuck you can be an investigator when you're living with your the person that you're meant to be investigating. Right. And you're in a romantic relationship. Like those See, are yeah. some Seems like a pretty bells. big conflict of interest. <laughs> so kidding. Cindy calls it off and McBride... From some reports, again, hearsay is a little upset about her calling it off. But 
the attacks have uh, seemed to have ceased until April 15, 1983. So after moving, the threatening phone calls pop up again in April. Are you afraid? Is one of the first calls. Cindy, Cindy was and she was even more unnerved when one night she discovered that someone had unscrewed and smashed her backyard flood lamps. So she's getting calls, and now her new place is again being didn't didn't vandalized. she she not even she didn't she like like painted her car and like changed her phone number and does she yeah she's she's left she's she's changed she has an unlisted number she has a different car different license plate she's done everything to try to ch- get out of this situation. May 8th, Cindy moves again, ignoring her friend's calls to get an apartment or a condo because they wanted, her friends and family were saying, get some place to where there's lots of people, right? Where lots of people can see you. But she wanted a little house because her dog Heidi uh, had some space to run and play and she wanted a, a garden. She's still super stressed out in June. She decides to kind of drop everything and she's going to spend the summer in Indonesia. She's going to leave and just kind of relax the summer. So she's gone all of summer and there's no reported incident. Cindy gets back and there's a welcome home letter for her. On August 22nd, (laughs) Cindy received a letter her name was spelled on the front of the letter, cut from a magazine. Welcome back. Death, blood, love, hate. It said on the inside. And she tore it up. Oh, my God. October 15th, 1983. She found a dead cat with a rope around its neck in the yard of her new home. Next to the note, next to the cat was another note that said, You're next. Ah. And in the coming week, in the coming weeks, there would be two more dead cats found on her yard. But the cops still think that like they're not they're not believing her anymore. At this point, the RCMP have now essentially believed that Cindy is doing this all to herself. So they're they're thinking that Cindy is killing the cats herself. Although there's no evidence to point to Cindy, that's Cindy's now their lead suspect in the harassment of Cindy James. December 31st, 1983. On the e- on New Year's Eve, someone smashed Cindy's bedroom window. So again, you would be fucking just you you your nerves would be shot. You'd be yeah, you'd be after, wrecked. 30 days later is the second physical attack. On January 30th, 1984, Cindy was attacked for the second time. Uh, her friend Caban had Caban found her this time. He'd gone to Cindy's to personally investigate strange noises at the house, picked up on the radio. But when he arrived, it was silent. There was no answer at the front door. He went around the side to the back porch. Then peering through the window, he saw Cindy on the hallway floor. He kicked in the door, found her face down, unconscious, Ah. a paring knife, a paring knife 
jutting out of her hand attached to a bloody note in the usual ransom style. Now you must die, cunt. And there was a black nylon stocking tied tightly around her neck. Fuck. Fucking paring knife jutting out of her hand. With a note attached to it. With a note attached to it. With, so it's like through her hand, as I'm guessing, and then there's a note stuck through the knife. Right, that's what I'm saying. It's like, here, hold this. <laughs> like, uh. She's doing this to herself. She's very committed. Yeah. So the ensuing investigation was not was a lot like the first. No fingerprints were found, no clues, no leads, apart from Cindy's injuries. There was no evidence anyone else had even been in the house. And again... Cindy frustrated investigators appearing to withhold information. This time, she suggested strange theories that only increased skepticism. What if it was Roy with a voodoo? Yeah. So, investigators, yeah. not going to shy anything. They, they bring her ex-husband, Roy Makepeace, in, and he's interrogated for six hours. They told Roy that Cindy said he'd beat her. They tried appealing... A, to his ego, but but nothing. He didn't. He he denied and said he had no hand in this diabolical campaign of terror that began after their separation. And again, police having no evidence believed and released Roy. Now, a new turn. Ex constable Pat McBride, former lover of Cindy, is now investigated as as well. The, harass- the harassment had come right as he had come into her life. So he was subject to a polygraph test and he passed. But again, these fucking things mm. are, don't work. Don't work. But he, so Pat McBride's now a bit of a, uh, a suspect. So now, again, they asked Cindy, do you want to take a polygraph? And she agrees. The RCMP officer administering the test asked her straight up if she was her own stalker. Did you stab yourself in the hand? Did you make the note? Did you tie the stalking around your neck? No, no, and no. This time, she was judged to be telling the truth. So now, so now they have nothing. They're not sure. They they have because now she's passing tests, so they have no fucking idea what's going on. June twelfth, right around Cindy's boyfriend uh, birthday, her dog Heidi went missing. She was found cowering in the basement in a pile of her own mess, a cord tied around her neck, next to a fresh cut and paste note. Fuck! Last days. Warning. Run. Death. Happy birthday, love. Oh, my God. <laughs> so now her friend, Caban, installs cameras, and the police are giving her special priority. At this point in the investigation, almost a million dollars has been spent on Cindy James's investigation. So Cindy is now, hold on, I have one. Where is that one? Fuck, I fucking minimized it again. God damn it, I'm so brutal at this. Brutal. I know. 
1980, April 1986, the Woodcocks, so this is Agnes, they were staying over at Cindy's house and they were awoken after Cindy discovered the basement of the, her house was on fire. She ran to call the authorities and all the phone lines in her home have been cut. Tom Woodcock went to a neighbor to call the fire department and he saw a man standing just outside. Tom asked the man to call for help, and the man turned and ran away. Mm. And in spite of this, in spite of Tom Woodcock seeing this man and this man riding away, police still believed that Cindy may have started the fire, as there were no signs of forced entry, and all the windows, there was undisturbed dust on the windowsills. And in now- spite of threats... Well, I was going to say so, that before someone got into their house with a key. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. So whoever this is could have easily got a, a... This is a new house, but he easily got a new key if he's that good of a stalker. Anyways. So so now it's your like... So Cindy is fucking going crazy. When people like this guy who ran away is a suspect, but this is 1986. We didn't, like, people didn't have, like, cell phones. So someone distraught, like, ran out of the house, and I was standing there, and they're like, there's a fire, like, go call someone. You know what I mean? You don't, you just don't have a cell phone. So it would make sense to me that they ran off. Maybe they ran off to try to make that phone call. Maybe. But it's weird that they wouldn't come back. So after this incident... Cindy checked herself into a psychiatric ward where psychotherapists examined the possibility that she was suffering from multiple personality disorder. Uh, Attending physicians did not believe this was the case and believed that Cindy was genuinely terrified about what was happening to her. No kidding. Yeah, fucking terrifying. There's... Uh, where's that next one there okay here we and then next one so once again so two weeks later after uh, oh so after her release from hospital Cindy immediately something happened in the hospital and she started accusing her ex ex-husband Roy Makepeace of being her tormentor like Ruth as she said he did it he's he's behind this all he's the mastermind um, shortly after Cindy being very vocal with the media and RCMP Roy received a creepy anonymous answering machine message from a raspy caller that said Cindy dead meat soon police found no evidence that Roy was responsible for tormenting Cindy and believe that she had disguised her voice and left that message herself. Now, you can listen to that message. Yeah, I heard it. And it sounds like a fucking woman. Like, it sounds like a woman doing it. It's just, it, it, it does. We'll, we'll post it. Zell, I've, I've made an audio clip of it, so we can post it on the show at this point. Cool. But it 100% sounds like a woman. This So it's a little weird. Now, two weeks after this, on October 26th, after Roy received that message, Cindy once again was found unconscious in her car, naked, hogtied in the front seat with her feet 
and her tie, like her feet tied and her hands behind her back. She had a nylon stocking wrapped around her neck and she was found because behind the seat, she had her keys in her hand and she was just hitting the panic alarm nonstop, the, the horn. They're like, honk, 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 honk. And Agnes had come and discovered her. So she was, again, like another, and RCMP believe that she did it all herself. She tied her hands. She got behind the car. And I was trying to think if you could, like with my seat, if I could get my hands over top of my car seat. Because people are like, oh, why would she have the keys in her hand, right? I'm like, well, if someone's fucking with her, right, maybe they want her to be found, right? Mm-hmm. If, if everyone's thinking that Cindy's doing this to herself, like you could almost do anything to her now. And if you make it look obvious, like people are going to point the finger at Cindy. So now, for the rest of 1988, everything's quiet. And the first half of 1989, there is no more incidents of, anyways, no more reported incidents of harassments or threats. And on May 25th, 1989, Cindy disappeared from a shopping mall parking lot. And her abandoned vehicle was found with blood in the driver's side door and items from Cindy's wallet were scattered underneath the car. And then two weeks later, Cindy was found a mile away, wearing no shoes, bound, drugged, and strangled. Tied up. Again, with a nylon. Black nylon. Tied up, hands, hands behind her back. And now we've come full circle. So, RCMP again label this as a suicide and say RCMP's argument is that she was doing this for attention. She was constantly placing herself where she would be quickly found. And this time she took the drugs and she expected to be found and she took too many drugs and put herself in a position where she wasn't discovered right away as she had in the past. And unfortunately died of an overdose. Yeah. No needle is found. So so no needles found. She does have an injection mark in her arm. And RCMP say an RCMP expert said at a coroner's inquest that if she had injected morphine into her bloodstream, she would have been rendered unconscious immediately. So they figured that their argument is she went to a shopping mall cut herself to have blood in the car, threw her IDs around, then walked barefoot, either was tied then or tied herself when she got a mile away. She had stabbed herself with a with a needle beforehand, before all of this, and then swallowed the morphine pills and then laid down and waited to pass out. Mm. Now, Se- seems it, it seems fishy. fishy. It's super fucking weird. the The yard where she was found is right next to a road with constant traffic and like a sidewalk. So her family couldn't believe that for two fucking weeks she would have been laying in this yard on her side, dead, and no one found her. 
like people just were walking by and there was just a dead body sitting it in was, this yard. It was that visible from the street? Because this, this was an abandoned property, wasn't it? It was an abandoned property, but it was right adjacent to a, a, like a busy road. So I'm sure there's some overgrowth and stuff, but like there would have been foot traffic and stuff. Like I have a hard time believing that it took that long as well. Two yeah. weeks? Well, yeah, usually like in abandoned houses, people like after a while realize they're abandoned and they'll just use them as shortcuts and stuff, right? Yeah. People or kids will use them. Like people, people will or be like sm- hobos. smoking there hobos or using will, drugs yeah, or, yeah. Like Someone. In or whatever. Yeah. So this whole time, RCMP are stating that Cindy has done all this herself. She's been injecting herself, drugging herself with these needle marks. Although the first time she was drugged, they didn't find ingestible morphine in her system. They found injectable morphine in her bloodstream. So it seems weird that she would set all this up, cut herself, and then inject herself. And then what happened with the needle? Who knows? Maybe someone was in on it. So anyways, her family's fucking pissed. So they say... There's absolutely no way. She wouldn't have done this to herself. Like, she was tormented. Someone did this to her. They hold British Columbia's most expensive coroner's inquest. It lasts three months. They have over 80 witnesses and professionals and expert testimony. And in the end, the jury could not reach a decision, and they determined that Cindy died of an unknown event. So they abolish the suicide, and they say they're not really sure what happened to Cindy. Now, why don't we get into what we think could have happened to Cindy? And why are the alien theorists theorizing, theorists, theorists talking about Cindy? Why are we why talking get- about, why are we talking about Cindy? Sounds like so, from all, from all accounts, it seems like either she was brutally stalked and murdered in the end by one perpetrator. She had some type of weird split personality where she was doing this to herself and she was so convinced that it wasn't her that the cops has made it seem like she was crazy or is it aliens is that is that the last one <laughs> well let's uh let's get into some of the suspects first so first is pat mcbride the ex rcmp officer so pat mcbride is one of the initial investigators and instantly starts a romantic relationship and moving in with her. Like, to seems me, that seems very super weird. shady. So, Pat McBride, now, this doesn't really tie into this, but Pat McBride also is no longer an RCMP member. And the reason he's no longer an RCMP member is because uh, he was charged with a shitload of sexual assault. Soon after, uh, Cindy James died. That go into the past. So, one theory is that he was her stalker, and he did this to like kind of manipulate her into being in a relationship with him. It was very easy for him to kind of slide into the the boyfriend role, and that's why. The, the threats and stuff kind of subsided while he was living with her. And then he seems to go on to substantiate her claims, saying like, oh yeah, this isn't real. She's not crazy because he couldn't give himself up. That's one theory. And then when she breaks up with him, he's rattled and 
elevates it to murder. But there's really no evidence tying him to all this. There's just theories. Now, outside of him, like, just being a shitty cop and, like, having questionable integrity, I don't know if he's really fits this for me. So why don't we look at her husband? And this is the one I really like. Dr. Roy Makepeace. So remember earlier how I said that she, once she got back from the psych ward where she was having like psychotherapy and stuff, she was really pointing the finger at her husband, her ex-husband Roy. At that point, she also recalls an incident. Let me pull up the date. She also, during that time, she, she requires, she remembers an incident, July 2nd, 1981, before that she seemingly forgot. Cindy recalled a boating trip that she and Roy had taken in the summer of 1981, a year before their separation. Uh, They were going to meet some friends uh, on an island. Roy had gone to look at a property, and Cindy walked, went for a walk at the top of the hill. She said she found a log cabin, and she entered to find Roy and his friends standing over dead bodies. They were cut up with what seemed to be an axe. And he yelled at her, what, are you, what the hell are you doing here? And Cindy became too frightened to continue the session. This is under the hypnosis, hypnosis at the psychotherapy. Right. She, again, a second time, she tells the exact same story with more detail. And she stated that Roy had dismembered the corpses, placed them in bags, and disposed of them in the ocean. Noting that her emotion was very real, the hypnotist took this charge seriously and police followed his lead. They launched an investigation that, as usual, turned up nothing. Uh, Make peace, he says, that never happened. Now, interesting thing about Dr. Roy Makepeace is he's a psychiatrist uh, in BC, and he had been a psychiatrist since the 50s, and he was good friends with a doctor, James Tyhurst. Hmm. Hmm. That name sounds familiar. Well, that name does sound familiar because we just talked about James Tyhurst in our MK Ultra case file. James Tyhurst was the head of Canadian, the Canadian Psychiatric Association, the American Psychiatric Association, and at one point, the World Psychiatric Organization. <laughs> <laughs> and he provided oversights on Project Artichoke and Project Blueboard, Bluebird that turned into MK Ultra. Um, he did research on the effects of LSD on 300 patients uh, in Vancouver. CIA funded research into forced morphine addiction. Um, CIA funded mind control programs in Canada uh, to change attitudes of individuals. Sensory deprivation and isolation and interrogation techniques. Fuck. Uh, Prolonged isolation um, and essentially making people feel they're hopeless. And the person, the friend that they had gone to see when Cindy says that she caught caught them murdering was none other than one James Tyhurst. So So now we have... So under hypnosis, she recalls just James Tyhurst with her ex-husband chopping up someone. Yeah. Yeah. No, but, chopping okay. up bodies. 
chopping that's, up. That's one hell of a party. So <laughs> in this case, then these people are not just involved in MK Ultra, like mind alteration and mind control. They're they're doing the full deed then. But here's the thing: like we talked about in MK Ultra, how so many documents got destroyed, right? Yeah. So maybe I'm just saying there's we have a guy who practiced forced morphine addiction, essentially making someone breaking their mind, absolutely breaking their mind. And his, his friend, Dr. Makepeace's ex-wife seemingly has her mind broken. Broken. Numerous times fucking has morphine in her system. This is insane because we talk about MK ultra and like they use like, they're just savage to their patients in all these different ways, electro electroshock, other types of torture to break a mind. And then it fractures. And that's when they can install what they say is like install, except like you get like split personalities. Yeah. I'm going to say, I'm going to go even as far as you could have, they could have broken her mind and had her do this to herself. That's what I mean. Making like, the calls and shit. Like one of what one of her alter egos is this like s- like self destructing personality that's doing to this herself, but when she comes to, she thinks it's someone else because she cannot remember through this M culture mind control. She cannot remember what she did to her. Like she can't remember that part of her mind at all. Like it's not even part of her. So this connections add up here a little bit. It seems very odd. Yeah, it's now. And just to remember that Dr. James Tyhurst, like the next year after Cindy dies, he's charged and subsequently imprisoned for four years for mind control experiments where he would use his patients um, as what the, the media called slave master contracts, where he would use depressed female clients as guinea pigs. And he would say like, oh, there's this experimental thing. And he would turn them into like weird ass like slaves and torture them and shit. And yeah, he was whip them in and things. Them. It's just like, yeah, this guy was, uh, yeah. So this is Ty Hurst, right? So yeah. now, yeah. so her husband, well, I think he was like 16 or 18 years, her senior when they got married, they got married young, like when she was 18 or 19. Yeah. So if you go with the MK ultra style, like when a mind is young, it's much more easily manipulated. So this string of theories here together, her husband meets her when they're young, they get married. He's involved in all this stuff. His good friends with this other guy who's now been convicted of, he like hundred percent was involved with it. Maybe they're uh, from me right from when they got married. Like he was like slowly installing. Well, I guess it would, it would have been right when they separated, I guess is kind of what it seemed like more. Right. Yeah. So then he could have been like, he even been a jilted lover. And he's like, James Tyhurst is like, well, hey, we can like, we can 100%. She, or even, okay, even if that's true and she fucking saw them murder someone, which would be even more fucking reason for them to be like, we need to qu- silence her. She's seen too much, right? So they're doing all this shit. They're like fucking making her nervous, nervous break rack and they're yeah they're putting i mean discredit her first don't just kill her like you know you'd have to discredit her like make her seem crazy first and then and then do that thing but it's 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 so 
I don't know. Like if you're if you're police and I'm sure they were doing their jobs or things like that. Like and she said that she had these intruders like break into the house and and sometimes there was absolutely no evidence. Like no windows were open, no um no fingerprints, no nothing, like nothing at all. That's that's kind of a, for me that feels like kind of a stretch. Yeah, but if they if they had if they were doing some fucking some weird like Manchurian candidate thing to her and it was just her like in a trance going and like stabbing her own pillow and shit, right? Dude, how else do you fucking stab yourself through the hand with a paring knife? Like I'm yeah. saying like buddy, you have to be on some next level shit to stab Yeah, yourself but it's through like the hand. that I don't think they that's the kind of thing though that it's like hypnosis and those kinds of things only work on you if you want them to like yeah, the people who are susceptible to that on fucking lsd and shit and you've just you've you're like we don't know what those fucking results of those tests found out right there is there's nothing to say that she wasn't being dosed with lsd and low dose lsd right like it leaves your system so quick there was no drug testing and they didn't know that the government was doing all this shit at the time nope mm. They had they had no clue, because it's just it's it's very odd to me that there's that connection for this one, like the morphine and shit. She's totally discredited. No one fucking believes her, right? Yeah. She then goes to she checks herself into the fucking cuckoo bin. She gets some tests and shit done, and then all of a sudden it it fucking snaps something for her, and she's pointing the finger like mad, right? It's tie her. It's uh. It's my husband make peace. It's make peace. I know it's make peace. And then the next event, she's dead. Could have been. Yeah. If you know, if stuff started to fall into place, if she checked herself in, it would have been a bit more difficult to dose her food or 100%. something like that. I mean, you could look at it like that. Um, she getting access to, to whatever. Yeah, she became lucid. Like she started to you know get her get her shit together. Um, but yeah, that's a. Uh, it's it's super weird. Like I know this has been on unsolved mysteries, and I know it's still kind of unsolved as it is. Like I, I know they rule it as a suicide, but dude, she she was bound like behind her arms were behind her back, okay. and the way that she was tied up, it's like you can't. What kind of funky suicide is that? Hey, you can <laughs> you can look up the pictures of how like you can look up the pictures of her dead in that yard. One thing that strikes me right away. Is there's like zoomed up pictures you can look on the body, like obviously viewer beware. Man, for walking a fucking mile, she's got some clean ass feet. If that's what they think she did all this to herself, and then she walked fucking barefoot, like through the fucking woods, through some yards and shit, she's got some really clean feet. <laughs> I'm just saying, you're walking on the pavement on the in the parking lot, and shit, barefoot, like your feet are getting dirty. Yeah, that's true. In a hurry, and she's got clean feet. And I'm not saying like I'm not a I'm. You can only see so maybe her feet are dirty more on the bottom of the soles and stuff. That's just my initial look. Right. And she's bound from behind, and they did. Ha- I'll say they did have a knot expert show that that could be done. Like you could, with the right knowledge of knots and stuff, get that tie your feet, bound them, and then step through, and then. But it's not, it wasn't like, it's not an easy feat, but it can be done. So it's, that points to the suicide a little bit. 
But my, just, yeah, but why would you do that and then like overdose on, you know, it's like, is that the way? If you're going to overdose on morphine pills, then what? Man. I mean, that's not, and that's not even what killed her, right? It wasn't the, the morphine pills aren't what killed her. Didn't she have like blunt trauma and, and lacerations and stuff? Yeah, she had some, I forgot about that. She had some blunt trauma, some lacerations. And again, she was strangled by the fucking black nylon. So they don't right. know if she died from overdose or she died, she suffocated. They're Again, they're not sure at that point. That's why they call it accidental suicide. Because they're not sure if she ingested too much or she died. Yeah. But, but again, like, dude, that's a lot to do. So you're like, okay, so... <laughs> I'm trying to think in my head how you would have to do this. So you're like, you would leave your house. You're like, okay, wait, I got to fucking prick my arm. So people think I was drugged. So you prick your arm. Then you go, okay, I got to get rid of this needle where no one's going to find it. Cause I can't leave it in my house. Cause my house is going to be searched. So you dispose of that. You drive to the shopping mall. You go, okay, shit. You know, there's people around. So I got to look in suspicious as I'm fucking barefoot with my ropes in my hand <laughs> <laughs> and I'm scattering my ID under my fucking car. Oh, I got to cut myself a little bit and mess myself up a little bit so the blood gets in the car. Then I'm going to walk barefoot a mile, find this abandoned house. Then you're going to, okay, how do you do this first? Do I do I tie the black nylon around my throat? No, you'd have to take the morphine first, I guess. So you'd have to then pop the morphine tabs, cinch your throat with the black nylon, and... As you're like wheezing, struggle to hogtie yourself. I guess hmm. that makes sense. Yeah, it's uh, no matter, no matter what way you spin it, it just does not seem to add up. It looks yeah. like the perfect murder to me, man. Like the pinprick on the arm, you're like, because then instantly they're like, oh, it looks like she was drugged and murdered. And then when they find ingestible morphine, right away you're like. The whole time they were like, this bitch is doing it to herself. And as soon as you see that, investigators would be like, this bitch did it to herself. Like right away. Without a second look, you'd be like, yep, she did it to herself. And I'd even go so far as to say, if this, all this, if she knew more than she let on about these experiments, or she was a nurse, so maybe she even could have potentially helped out in some of these. There's no evidence that she did. I'm just purely speculating here. If she knew more than she did and she was now being an issue and you have make peace being like, hey, tie her. It's like, you know, my ex-wife's kind of crazy and she's doing all this shit. She knows a lot. You know, CIA have put down other people. They've, they had, I'm pretty sure people have jumped out of windows. <laughs> right. Who knew too much. So I'm just saying there's a, there's, there's loose connections there, but they're very interesting loose connections. Yeah, to say the least. It's, uh, there's a reason this case got so much international publicity. Like it was all over all like the major crime shows and everything. Yeah, it's a, it's definitely an unsolved mystery. There's a lot of stuff that you could get into and still explore in it. And but now that it's it's kind of, you know, it's far enough away that a lot of the evidence and stuff isn't going to be, you know, it's a, it's a time sensitive thing. You're not going to be able to find out what, what actually happened. So, so what do you think, Dan? What, what, what's your, what's your theory? What do you think? What do you lean towards? 
I'm leaning towards. I'm leaning towards creepy stalker. There, there. I think there's creepy stalker or something, but I don't know if it was like. I'm not sure the motivations because there was that one thing where they said that when when they came out, um, what was it? What was it? Agnes? Uh, when they came out of the house when it was on fire and they saw the one guy standing outside the house. Yeah. And then they they went up to like you know tell him like hey can you like call the police can you he, call the, he ran the house away. is bur- yeah he ran away and yeah. you're like but again I said like maybe he ran away because like it's 1986 you don't have cell phones so if you're like my house is on fire like call help yeah like wh- while you're like okay well you wouldn't just stand there and be like all right like you would run away to a phone right but he was already standing out there were you just standing out there watching the house burn like yeah that's again that's, that's another weird. weird one at like two in the morning. It was wasn't it like two in the morning or something. It wasn't it wasn't a normal time of day. So I or you know, it was a time that people would normally be outside. There's so, and, and then like she I don't know yeah I don't know I'm, I'm with creeper stalk creepy stalker thing but it's like how would you be a creepy stalker like to know oh, to be that obsessed with someone to make this kind of stuff happen a it's good so creepy weird. stalker too like. To never be seen, yeah. never be seen. To get keys to the house, yeah. to like get into the house and stab the pillow and like yeah. all that stuff. I would think, you know, maybe there were some weird psych. Yeah, maybe it was some weird psychiatrist cult or something. Because you know, she went to go hang out with all those. You know, all of them were psychiatrists, and you could say maybe it was just like a bunch of psychiatrists getting together for the weekend when they went to Gabriola, uh, you know, to hang out. But maybe some weird stuff did go down there. And then they were like, well, we can't have this stuff getting out. Whatever they do. You know, maybe there's just a bunch of weirdos. Maybe it's, um, what's it called? It's like a... Bohemian Grove kind of thing? Uh, or like, um, spoiler alert, Hot Fuzz. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the the that, greater good. The greater, greater good. good. And there's like six of them just like running around, you know. So, so. there's another voicemail that was found on Roy's phone. With an unknown voice, um, it was sent to FBI, and they were unable to de- to determine if it was Roy's voice or if it was Cindy's voice. Or, or basically, they said it's unknown. We can't determine whose voice it was. And the voicemail just said, "Hey, man, more smack, more downers, another grand after we waste the bitch. No more deals." That's all it said on Roy Make Pieces answering machine. That was October twelfth. That's quite a uh, piece of something. Yeah, I just stumbled yeah. on that. But Roy said that it was Cindy, and that couldn't be proven either way. I guess not, yeah. 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 Oh. I'm not going to lie. I, uh, As my conspiracy mind goes, it just seems very, very interesting that her ex-husband, this all started happening not that long after they broke up, her ex-husband's friend is a guy who is convicted of being involved with MK Ultra in the same profession that he's in they probably talk about the same stuff maybe maybe it wasn't his maybe it wasn't like that that guy what was his name the fuck James Tyhurst maybe it wasn't it wasn't him doing it but he passed on to his friend her ex-husband he what he learned okay he, he was the head of the Canadian Psychiatric Association so like I'm going to go out on a limb and say that he wasn't directly involved. He was overseeing. So there was people on the ground 
that were doing this shit in Vancouver in that area, proven they were doing that. Yep. I just think Ty Hurst was the yes man approving things and keeping things com- compartmentalized. But so I don't know if he actually had a physical hand in the in the stuff, but he definitely had people with boots on the ground. So I agree, 100% agree. It maybe was not him at all, but we know this happened in Vancouver. We know the shit was going on in Vancouver. Where is she from? Vancouver. Like yeah, I mean, I don't even think it might not even been her husband who actually did the stuff to her, but I would not be surprised if he, if this MK Ultra stuff did and they did break her through like drug use and other kind of, and they separated her like personalities. She might have been just doing it to herself, but not on like forced, <laughs> forced suicide is what it could have the, been. The yeah. only reason, the only reason, well, see, because I thought about that and I was, I was thinking, I was like, okay, what well, she lived with that fucking cop for couple months and you think he would have seen something right and he heard a call but i wonder if i wonder if they like i wonder if it would fuck them over i'm trying to think in my head if this cop if they had called cindy and cindy was all of a sudden freaking out like they called her with a code word or something she was fucking slashing a pillow and he saw that would that fuck up their plan because then the, the rcmp would be like no it wouldn't that wouldn't have fucked up their plan that's like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know why it stopped when the RCMP moved in, or maybe it was just too risky. Mm, yes. Right. He looks, he looks shady as fuck too, man. He, all right. Ultimate conspiracy. He was part of the MK Ultra program. He was working with the psychiatrist to break her from the inside, making her seem more crazy than she was telling his cop buddies that no, she's probably just a little bit crazy. D- totally discredited her in the end. The MK Ultra took over. She took her own life. I'm trying to find out how old I'm trying to find out how old he was, the Pat McBride, to see if he was like if he was like a super seasoned vet that he could have been around for MK Ultra. Or if he was a young like anyways, this one's this one's got some legs conspiracy wise, which is why we featured on the store. I kind of I was reading up on Project Artichoke when I came across it and I was kinda of like I kind of fell down a rabbit hole and I was like, Jesus, Jesus. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. Anyways, uh, that's pretty much all I had on Cindy James. Yep, that's uh, I think yeah. that I think that pretty much covers it. Unsolved mystery, tons of true crime cases about it, t- podcasts and documentaries, and everywhere you look, this case has been done but never solved. So it's super crazy. Um, we got you got a prolapse of the week. Oh, uh, I don't have a pulled up here. Go for it, something here. All right. Well, I got a new podcast review, five-star review. Ooh. Obsessed. Five-star review from Stott Tot. Stott Tot from the USA. I'm not ashamed to say that. I have listened to all episodes in less than a month. I'm sad I have to wait now for more episodes. Need my space news fix. Never stop theorizing, men. Thanks, Stott Tot. Um, Stott Tot. It's a good one. It's a good review. That was our one review. <laughs> so that was our one review. We one. Need more <laughs> reviews. Get on there. Give us five star reviews on Facebook, on iTunes. Five star reviews really help. So get on there. Oh, and if you're listening to this, that means go to T Public, get some of our shirts. Uh, by this episode, I think by last episode, I've released limited edition. Limited time only, original alien head. 
design and original El Nasty for the Christmas season. Go on there while supplies last because they're not going to last long and they're limited time only. Boom. So what do you got? Definitely want to get yeah. Definitely want to get your hands on one of those El Nasty shirts. Oh, those things are slick. Those, those things are prime, dude. Those things are good. I love good those fucking shirts. shirts. I lost mine a long time ago, so I need to get a new one as well. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Prolapse of the week. I can't find anyone good because we just recorded yesterday and I gave it out. Anyone oh, else? Well, I, Any, anyone come, come across birthday somebody? Birthday boy Brock. Birthday boy Brock. <laughs> birthday <laughs> boy Brock. You're Getting now prolapse, prolapse of, the week. of the week. Congratulations. Because you rotated the earth, the sun another year. Yeah. One more time. Once um, more around the sun on Spaceship Earth. Let's go uh, Patreon. New Patreoners. We got Corey Mills, Tyson, and that's it because we just recorded yesterday. So welcome <laughs> two to in the a team. row. Two in a row. <laughs> uh, anything else we got? We got a plug or anything? Yeah, I did. I don't have music either for this one. Woohoo! So if you're oh, man. if you're listening <laughs> if you're listening to this, and you're in a band or you want us to feature some like a, one of your friends' bands or somebody. Tell them to get in touch with us, or you get in touch with us, and we will feature some songs at the end of the podcast. Yeah. Preferably rock or equivalent, but we'll take uh we'll take all all submissions. We'll we'll give them a listen. Mm. Good music. Any good music. Yeah. M- mumble rap might not make it through, but you can send it, you can send it in if you want. <laughs> mumble rap. Mumble rap's a real thing, man. It's very popular. I know it is a real thing. I don't know why, but it's a it's a fad fad genre right now. What the fuck is mumble rap? But you just that's a top that's a top twenty right there. That's a chart buster. Chart buster right there. Mumble rap. Squiggly Z. Mumble rapper. Squiggly Z. Don't you don't you remember don't you remember way back in the day when we had that fucking joke band? Um, joke van human voice human voice oh yeah you were squiggly z brain's like that's not a joke i was sleazy b (laughs) yeah sleazy b squiggly z i bet you i wonder if i think you can still find let me tell you something i have all those songs on my old computer the human voice was on myspace or something wasn't it like it was was that long ago yeah School uh, is back in session today. <laughs> uh, so we used to get d- wasted, drunk as hell. And uh, we used to all sit around a computer and someone would make a beat uh, on like some beat making program. And then we would uh, record a, some record nonsense. A, a one night song. It would take two hours. We'd all split up. You'd write your lyrics. You'd come back. We'd all, we'd write a hook. And then just, they were always terrible because we we're blackout drunk. They didn't make any sense. <laughs> no sense at all. I think one time Zell was like in the middle of a line. He was like, sucking my dick, sucking your dick, sucking his dick. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't make any Man. sense. It's hilarious. Man, you should, you got to send me those songs. Let's put, let's put one of them at the end of the podcast. It's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So to this week's song, Brought to you by uh, the Human Voice, <laughs> classic R and B R and B love love making group out of uh, yeah. two thousand and seven. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, as we always like to say at the end of these things, keep those eyes on the skies. Psych. Sorry, guys, we couldn't find the recording.
We'll have to get to it on the next one. Peace. Peace.